At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Al Horford's knees <laughs> were signaling a bailout like we were still in the Obama administration. <laughs> However, Jimmy Butler's three was singing PPP. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Take Line. We've got another great show after a great weekend of sports lined up for you here today. I will be joined by Jordan Liggins, host of the Spinsters podcast and the host of WNBA show Buckets. Together, we were going to talk to uh, Brandon Scoopy Robinson, NBA insider at Bally Sports and Bovada Sports. He is a betting expert. We're going to preview the NBA Finals. And then finally, Jordan uh, and super producers Ryan Wallerson and Zuri are going to join me for a riveting game of Take Survivor NBA Finals edition. But first, let's get into it. Um, Jordan, first of all, thank you for joining us today. How are you? I am well. I miss you, Jason. I'm so I happy to be here with you. One of the delights of my life... <laughs> It's just watching the Jordan Liggins ascent uh, into media mogulship, hosting, co-hosting, uh, doing video stuff, uh, doing uh, Nike promotional campaigns. It's just been fantastic, Jordan, uh, and it must be exciting. It is exciting. It's just like I just got a lot of jobs, you know. I got a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff to do, but that's a good thing. And a that's um, a good thing. I love everything I'm doing. It's it's so fun that people pay you to talk about basketball. It's it so is really an amazing thing. Weird, weird career choice. I love it. Regarding a lot of jobs, <laughs> to delay our conversation shortly, for, you know, sometimes people, you know, will ask me for advice. You know, what's it like to do these kind of jobs? Here's what it's like. You need to have a lot of jobs. You need to have several jobs <laughs> because <laughs> sports media, digital media being what it is, uh, any one of your jobs at any given time can just go away, can mm-hmm. just fall apart for no reason, for reasons that are completely mysterious. The, it, it can just like disappear. So you have to have like three or four because you need to diversify just in case any one of those jobs or two of those jobs disappear. And you're doing yes. it right. You're, you're, Thank you. you're crushing the game, Jordan. Thank you so much. Let's talk about a game that almost crushed my will to live <laughs> uh, and a series that almost crushed my will to live. Uh, Celtics heat, the Celtics prevail uh, in seven games. They tried to give it away. (laughs) They tried so hard. They wanted to to give the game away. And I was watching it with Celtics fan Mike Malloy. He he was like clawing his eyes out. Ultimately, uh, the Celtics uh, eked it out 100 to 96. Uh, They will face the Golden State Warriors who are going to their Sixth final in eight years. Pretty yep. incredible stuff. Um, yeah. any, any thoughts on thoughts on Celtics heat and, and thoughts uh, looking ahead at the at the finals, Jordan? Well, I think just the playoffs in general was a little bit of a snoozer. I think we can all agree. There are so many blowouts 
that, you know, I watch so much trash TV. Like I'm a married <laughs> at first sight, 90 day oh, fiance yeah. type of yeah. person. And you know, those episodes are like an hour and a half. So if you can get a yeah. jump start on those, that's <laughs> the key. And so many blowouts. I was really in my bag with married at first sight because I didn't want to watch <laughs> it anymore. There was just so many. And the worst part was you didn't know which team was going to blow out what night. You like yeah. sat down, you're ready for a good game. After the second quarter, it was married at first sight. It was to lifetime for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this series, Celtics Heat in particular, has to be the worst seven game series that I can Ever. remember. Like the lowest yeah. entertainment level. Yeah. Other than game six with with Jimmy going crazy and mm -hmm. and winning a game which I did not believe the Heat were in any position to win. Mm -hmm. Other than kind of enjoying that, and I guess the the last four or five minutes of game seven when the Celtics again just were out here trying to give the game away. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that was sort of exciting. But like other than that, you're absolutely right. It was really, it was really a tough watch. Um the game hinged on a bunch of plays, but one of them was a uh, a Max Struess reverse three that happened like four minutes earlier. Yeah. And was reviewed like, like, I don't even, I wasn't, I'm not even sure like why that happened in the way it did. Later shots showed that it's really unclear if Struess's like heel actually came all the way down. I think it's, uh, he probably touched the line, but it's not conclusive to me. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the Heat, you know, lose 100 to 96. But during that intervening three or four minutes played as if, you know, you would play differently, right? If yes. you were behind by less. And so it, this was one of those uh, decisions that really confuses me about the way that replays and things are run in the NBA. I think it's solving for problems that we don't necessarily have in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Ultimately, it's one of the biggest conversation drivers after the game, which tells you what kind of series this was. Yes. Um, do you guys, y'all have any thoughts about that, about that play? I mean, about the play itself, it's just the fact that there was a review and we're still all talking about it, about like the wrong decision was come to like that. If there was no review and we were talking about it as a missed call, that's yeah. one thing. But like the fact that we stopped the game, went into it and came back with like the wrong outcome potentially it just feels like VAR at this point. It hurts more than it helps. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even with that quote-unquote potentially missed call, that 11-0 run was still, like, the weirdest thing because the entire time I'm thinking, like, what are the Heat doing? They're on half of a leg and, like, no arms. Wasn't pretty. <laughs> What's the outlook for overtime? What's the outlook for them actually making the NBA Finals when the three ball from Jimmy's in the air? All of this is yeah. going through my head. I'm like, does anyone actually want this to go in? And when <laughs> right. it didn't, I was like, I feel like this was a bullet dodge for Miami. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. Jimmy Butler played every single minute. And even before the game started, I looked at I told my dad, I was like, he has to score 50. If they want to win yeah, this he game, to. he's going to have to score 50 because there's no help is not there. He's waving the white flag, asking for help. No one is coming to his rescue. So if they did make it to the finals, he would have had to average 55 against the Warriors. Like it would have been such a tall feat. And I don't think just as a fan and entertainment value, I would have wanted Jimmy Butler to be, you know, hunched yeah. over again, tired, trying to make his team, you know, reach the, yeah. the championship. 
I, I do like that Jimmy apparently proved that he's a quote-unquote superstar. I know that conversation is a little old. But I'm also struck by Duncan Robinson. Do we know why he didn't really see the court in basically all seven games in a series where they struggled to score in basically all seven games? Yeah. Has that come out? Well, really? yeah. I, I, I think, you know, here's what's interesting about uh, about Eric Spolstra, obviously one of the best coaches we have in the NBA, and has the complete trust of the organization from the top all the way down and is an incredible strategist and tactician, mm -hmm. but also... Like, don't piss him off. <laughs> like, don't get on his bad side. Much like every great coach, he has that uh, very planned outside, but also just kind of goes with his gut. Like, Struce mm -hmm. over Duncan Robinson doesn't really make sense other than uh, Spolstra saw some things that he didn't like. We don't know what those are. And I think he just went with his gut in that case. I think Struce largely rewarded Spolstra's trust. But it is one of those things where, you know, Eric Spolster will just get a gut check on his lineups and decide this is the way we're going to go. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, yeah. I, you know, I don't know that Duncan Robinson really showed you in the in the very limited minutes that he did play that he was going to make a difference. And it was an extremely physical series. And Struess was giving you that two-way mm -hmm. kind of play. Like, I don't think it's an accident that the Heat made that run in the last five minutes of the game when the refs put the whistles away. They just put them yeah. away. And yeah. all of a sudden, all of Kyle Lowry's various black bag shenanigans, <laughs> you know, just went un unremarked upon. That guy, like, I love Kyle Lowry. I've, I've loved him. He's, like, such a hard-nosed, fun player to root for. Loved him as a member of the Raptors. He's probably the greatest Raptor ever. He was, the shit he was doing in this series was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were, you Incredible. have to practice it. Like everybody else is doing a regular layup line. He's over, <laughs> over there like tripping over lines. Like there's yeah. no way that you can just feel something, the slightest of tap and your whole yes. body just flies through the air so dramatically. Yes. It, it, I don't it's know fragile. if it's natural. Give him the Oscar. But yeah, I want to say <laughs> it's practice. He's in the gym practicing these flops because you just have to it's impeccable and, and then his size it looks you know because he's wider than he is yeah yeah like he'll he was the, like in the in the down the stretch he's going for rebounds which you know he's not going to get it's like him versus horford you know he's not going to get it but he'll like throw himself off of horford's hip so it so it looks like he's just been like discarded and thrown to the ground and he's getting these fouls and it's like and you're like you're exactly right. Like he'll run at a guy's feet and trip over them on purpose. It's like, what are we doing, Kyle? You, what is happening out here? The uh, elbow one was uh, my favorite, where it oh looks like he just got you know his his lips should be bleeding, and then we do a <laughs> slow mo zoom in. He was like five inches away from his face. Like that is art. It really is art. <laughs> Was it last three minutes of Black Air Force energy from the Miami? Yes. <laughs> they can say, like, hey, we pushed them to the limit. They didn't want it with us in the game eight. But, man, I, I think it would have been the Warriors' easiest finals opponent if that ball sank. I, I, so I agree. Yeah. I'm very happy with the series that we have. Yeah. Let's talk about the Warriors for a second. So uh, the legacy talk has started. Uh-oh. Tim Kawakami had an article in The Athletic uh, that uh, – the beginning of it that I think – 
that I laughed out loud at. It's like a retcon. It's a like a reframing of the Warriors Durant years. Here's the opening paragraph. This is about the Warriors generally, not Kevin Durant specifically. It's about everything before and beyond Durant's arrival and departure from the Warriors. And, and it's basically about how, hey, the Warriors are a great team. The core of it is uh, Curry, Clay, and Draymond. And actually, like the Durant years were great, but it's really about those three. And that's why this team should be looked at as, uh, you know, one of these great dynasty teams going to six finals in eight years. Mm. And it's like, yeah, Tim, nobody at the time was like, you know what? The Warriors really need Kevin Durant. No, he was a luxury. We all knew that they didn't we need him. We all knew that, It yeah. was obvious that they, yeah, <laughs> like, if they would have brought a, a, a Bogut and Barnes back in 2017, they st- they would have been a, a favorite to make the final. Like, we all knew that they didn't need him. Yeah. Anyway... What what happens to the Warriors' legacy now? We've heard uh, talk about like, oh, does does Steph Curry, if you win and get Finals MVP, does he jump Magic? There's all these conversations. Like, where do you put this Warriors team in the pantheon of great teams that we've seen? Oh my goodness, it's hard to place them. Do we still call them a dynasty if they miss the playoffs two years in a row? I know the Spurs had a similar run where they're in and out, but like, can we even call them a dynasty? I think so because of injuries. You know, they did win yeah. 15 games, which was crazy. Right, but Clay having two of the most severe injuries you can have back to back Steph suffering with injuries. They're older now. I think it's, I think it's fine to call them a dynasty, even though during those middle years, they, they had a player who was one of the arguably the best offensive player in, in <laughs> NBA history and they didn't need him. Um, I think they're a dynasty. I do think because six, six titles is hard. That's hard to go to the final six times. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so neat, like that many appearances over this small, like a condensed period of time, like six out of eight, I'm willing to include even through the bad years, because it's just impressive to bounce back this quickly. Yeah. Even that in itself shows an element of the ability to extend dominance throughout a period of time. It really is about the injuries and about the full strength, because if they were at full strength, would they have missed the playoffs two years in a row? No. And we have to consider that. But... For this series, the experience, I think, is what everyone keeps going to. That's like the buzzword. They have 123 like finals games. The Celtics group has zero. Um, I, I don't I don't know if experience at this point, especially since this playoffs has been so up and down with blowouts and people are in the Western Conference Finals looking at you, Dallas, that you shouldn't be there. Like experience is <laughs> it's just like I don't know if it's all of that. Um, but having that dynasty talk going into a finals compared to a team that is a bunch of young stars. Again, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they're under 25 years old. That's gonna have to count for something. That's what I think. Yeah, I agree. On paper. To me, it looks like the Celtics should win six or seven. There's no one that you can really attack. Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens built a team of all similar sized uh, Mm -hmm. wing, switchable, flexible defensive players who are very smart on on offense and defense. They basically have everybody who plays for them, minus maybe, minus Peyton Pritchard, is an above average defender, right? And then they have Marcus Smart, who's a great defender. So they're just like very, very stout defensively. Um, They're very offensively flexible. 
And meanwhile, the Warriors, you know, Jordan Poole is great, but uh, they have to play zone when he's in. There's different things that the Celtics can attack. That said, you know, what happens when, going back to that game seven against the Heat, as the game seemingly started to get tight and maybe slip away, the Celtics kind of like went into bad habit mode. Here's yeah. Marcus Smart taking shots he shouldn't take <laughs> because he's like, oh, yes. now is, I got to stop this run from happening. You know, Ooh. here's uh, Jason Tatum falling into, I'm just going to take a bad fadeaway 19 footer <laughs> because mm-hmm. I love Kobe Bryant and that's what he would have done. You know, like that kind of. So I do think that there is, I think that experience matters. And that's yeah. why I lean, that's why I lean Warriors in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any quick predictions for anybody here? Oof. I've already made my prediction known. I think Warriors in seven. Hey. I think if the Celtics are in a position to finish this series quickly, I, I, maybe they take advantage of it. But I think the longer the series goes, the more it plays into Golden State's favor. And I just don't see the Celtics winning a game seven against the Warriors, probably mostly for the experience. Mm-hmm. In the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, are they going to beat the Warriors in a close game? Or are they going to have the composure and the execution? Until I see it, I question it. Ooh. Sorry? I like Warriors in seven, but my prediction is that Jason Tatum's going to win the NBA Finals MVP for the first time on a losing team since Jerry West in... Wait, only Jerry, only Jerry, <laughs> yeah, only Jerry West has done it. Yeah, no, I don't know. This is the question I was going to ask. Like, would you guys rather have Steph win and, like, solidify this legacy or have, you know, Kaminga win it or, like, God forbid, a Celtics player? I, I mean, like, listen, if the Warriors win this series and Steph doesn't win Finals MVP, then something has gone... It's like drastically. Yeah. drastically <laughs> I'm wrong. like, throw away. Yeah, 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 There's you do. no yeah. way. Andre Iguodala is sitting on your bench in street clothes and a leather <laughs> outfit, and he has a finals MVP over Stephen Curry. No, like it. He has yeah. to get it. He has to get. I, it. I agree. I mean, I he guess like the guy, the guy you you'd look at who would steal it from is probably Wiggins. But there's no way. No it way. won't happen this time. <laughs> it won't happen. I feel like even if Wiggins numerically dominates the series on the way to a Warriors victory, he'll just turn to the commissioner and be like, "Don't, don't give me that." Well, Please. here's the thing. Oh, nice. the, the thing about the Warriors <laughs> is everybody is able to do the things that they do because of Steph. That's yes. it. It's mm-hmm. Steph creating all. All of that space just by being there. Mm-hmm. Andrew Wiggins is able to be Andrew Wiggins uh, because of all the attention that is on Steph. Uh, Draymond Green is able to be Draymond Green because of his interplay with Steph. It's still all about Steph, <sighs> even if he's not like scoring at a high clip, which he I, I expect that he will. I also think Warriors in six or seven. Um, I, I, I think that it will be a close series. I think that the Celtics match up really well with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that there are certain things that the Celtics perhaps could exploit. Uh, but then again, we don't know, you know, is Robert Williams all the way back and healthy? Uh, you know, we've seen him kind of like laboring with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, different questions there, but I, I think the Warriors, the experience factor counts yeah. and I think they're hungry for it. I think they really want it. Um, I think Warriors in seven. Jordan? Yeah, I agree. I think they want it to solidify that dynasty conversation to say this group, we could do it. Um, I think the best thing for the Celtics is this couple days break and the finals really expand over a long period of time and they can rest because all of them are kind of hobbled on one leg. So that is their favor of making the series go longer but I still yeah. think the Warriors, too. I think six. I don't think it goes seven. I think they they still, you know, won at Boston. 
Um, but I think it's going to be good. I think this is what we've been waiting for. The playoffs have not yeah. lived up to it, <laughs> but we're going to get a really good finals. Um, they split in the regular season. Yep. So I think this is this is going to be a good matchup. That's what I'm hoping. Please, basketball gods. We want close games. We want a buzzer beater. Yeah. We want drama. Can I get an overtime? Can, Can I get, I get one overtime? overtime? Please. Um, so I, we've just been, you know, gearing up for this good finals. But I, I, I hope Steph gets finals MVP. If he doesn't, they're going to say, well, we gave you the Magic Johnson Award for yeah, the Western for the Conference MVP. How small is that award? It's so small. It's, like it's so small. And it they know what like, they did. It looks like a mermaid tail. Does it not? It does. Like it looks like scales are on it. It took me a second to realize that that was a net design. You know, here's the thing: the the NBA more than any other sport loves putting the ball in the basket on the trophy. They love it. They love, it's like if you, if they want you when you look at all of their trophies to be like, that's a basketball trophy for sure. They, there's absolutely no question about it. I mean, you look at MLB, you look at NHL, you look at the NFL, you look at all of their different awards and it's not, they, they're not blowing you away with the amount of like, balls and and nets and pucks and stuff like on this it's only the nba does this and <laughs> i personally think it's a mistake i think they can stretch out it is it even lives in the title of the championships like world series super bowl stanley yeah. cup nba finals yeah. it's like no 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 make sure it's in there make sure they know exactly what it is <laughs> Um, oh, goodness. Up next, some developments in the Brittany Griner story. It has been three months, of course, since uh, Brittany was detained on her way out of Russia, uh, leaving Russia from the airport. She was mm -hmm. in the, the airport of Moscow and was accused of having hashish oil in her luggage and has uh, been detained. It's been kind of quiet and purposefully so yeah. for a lot of those weeks as um, different people who have talked about it have said, hey, we've been in informed by the State Department that the best thing is to kind of let the diplomats handle this and not raise the temperature on it. Uh, but last week, Chanel Greiner, uh, Brittany's partner, uh, appeared on Good Morning America uh, to appeal to Joe Biden to, to essentially do more. Uh, she said in part, quote, I just keep hearing that, you know, he has the power. She's a political pawn. Um, and of course, she's very emotional during this time. She continues. So if they're holding her because they want you to do something, then I want you to do it. Um, she has uh, talked to uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken about the case and continued by saying, quote, I was grateful for the call. You say she's a top priority, but I want to see it. And I feel like to see it, it would be me seeing uh, Brittany Griner on U.S. soil. Um, of course, Russia is a big part of the economic life of many professional uh, uh, basketball players mm -hmm. uh, in the WNBA. Uh, a lot of players in the offseason will go there in different uh, countries in Europe to, to play professionally. That seemingly is going to be gone now. And this issue seems like it's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, any thoughts on this? And I wonder, you know, this is going to come down to some kind of trade of something, right? Russia yeah. saying, hey, take take sanctions away here, you know, release some of some oligarchs bank account or something like that. And it's unclear if that's going to happen at this point. Mm -hmm. But it really is awful that Brittany is a pawn in this really large geostrategic game. Uh, 
any thoughts on this? And I can't imagine what she's going through right now. Yeah, I I really can't imagine. And I can't imagine what her wife is going through, you know, yeah. having to speak out. And she really did the kind of press tour of all these interviews, even when she was pretty quiet before. And she said in that Good Morning America interview that it was actually Trevor Reed's family, the recent American prisoner yeah. who was brought back via swap um, that said, you are your partner's biggest advocate. Like you have to speak out. You have to be the one that's the face of all of this. And I can't imagine that. You want to just be at home crying, yeah. um, writing letters. There, she hasn't heard Britney's voice since the day before she was detained. The, the call Took never came, she said. Um, so it's so hard to have her be in that forefront but that's what we have to do. And even the WNBA community is now being louder that it yeah. came back that she is wrongfully detained. So we feel like we can speak out more um, in calling for action uh, because it's been over 100 days and it's far, far too long. And it can only get pushed out more because, like you said, Jason, Russia is going to expect something in return. And that yeah. is so scary. She was just over there for work. She was just over there trying to get the bag in Russia uh, to play working, basketball. Yeah. Um, and this is now a really blown out, scary situation. Ned Price, uh, a U.S. consulate officer who met with Griner on May 19th, reported that she uh, is doing well under the circumstances and mm -hmm. continued, quote, our message is a clear and simple one. We continue to insist that Russia allow consistent and timely consular access to all U.S. citizens. Um, one-off visits are not sufficient. And then essentially uh, going on to say that, um, you know, that, uh, that Brittany Griner is being wrongfully detained by yeah. the Russian Federation uh, is, a, is a political pawn in this game. Being loud about this and raising the temperature on it, it has now been three months. This is not going to go away anytime soon. The war over there continues to drag on. Mm -hmm. There have been no meaningful uh, diplomatic exchanges or talks that are aimed at ending this conflict. That is nowhere on the horizon. Mm. Uh, sanctions continue to pile up. Um, at this point, they, uh, you know, Russia is muddling through. Their currency has been buoyed by various moves by their uh, central bank. But at, at a certain point, it's going to really start to hurt. And it'd be good to keep Brittany front of mind during this time so that mm. that doesn't get swept away. Because like, to your point, there's a lot of just a lot of moving parts here. And if and if the people close to Brittany uh, and her uh, colleagues in WNBA aren't the ones talking about her, then it's kind of like no one's going to talk about it. Like the consulate yeah. has a lot of things to do, you know, so and the State Department has a lot of things on their plate. So it's really sucks that uh, that Brittany's wife, Sherelle, is going to have to deal with this. But I think that that it's time it's time to just raise the temperature on this. Mm -hmm. And the most heartbreaking thing that she said during that interview was that Brittany loved the decals that are on the court because I was kind of critical yeah. of it. I was like, you know, we're paying tribute. It's like she died yeah. or like we need to do more. The decals isn't enough. But Brittany told her wife that it shows I'm not forgotten. Like it shows yeah. that you guys haven't forgot about me over there. And that is so heartbreaking because of course we haven't yeah. forgotten her, but leaving it up to our government, like, like you said, they could forget her. It could be a lot of other things that happen. They could. 
But as the WNBA community, we have to show that we are not forgetting about her. I feel like even the freeing of Reed paints a really jarring perspective around this entire thing because he was a prisoner of Russia for multiple years. years. I think something like three years. Three years, two years, more than two years, yeah. yeah. So the idea that he had to wait that time, regardless of who he was, it's a really scary prospect to think that Brittany may be facing something like that. But I feel like the best chance that she has from what can be done over here across the Atlantic is just constant attention on the story and not letting up even as time progresses, no matter how much time that is. Because as you guys say, that as the war continues and as bigger things, no disrespect to Brittany, but as bigger things remain on the horizon for all parties involved, it could be easy for her to be forgotten. And we need to make sure that that does not happen. Mm -hmm. And this is not the most important part of this, but as we mentioned, Russia is an economic lifeline for a lot of WNBA players. That's going to be off the table now. Mm. And it remains to be seen the financial impact this will have mm-hmm. on players who, again, because of the economics of the WNBA, have to play all year. Mm-hmm. They have to play, a, you know, there's really no off season. Um, and this is going to hurt the bank accounts of, of a lot of players. Yeah. And it's also the fear that goes into players, too. Yeah, They're like, okay, I have to go to a foreign country to play. I'm forced to because I can't make a living only staying in the United States. But now my family and friends are thinking, are you going to come back safe and sound? Is this also going to happen to you? Like all of those things have to go into play now when it was just a a contract to go play basketball. There's like a whole nother level to this. And if the WNBA or there aren't other avenues on the U.S. to continue to pay these players, they're going to have to get another job. Like they're going to have to have a side hustle. Like it, it, there's no other option. And Russia was the top one. They were getting paid 10 times their salary, what they were getting paid here. So it's not like it was a couple dollars here and there. It was millions of dollars they will be losing out on. Um, And all of that is at play. And I I think about this is going to have to be a turning point in the WNBA, paying their players or having, you know, leagues like Athletes Unlimited who are also paying their players to keep them here. Um, This is what is going to change that. And I hope that that's the positive, the silver lining that comes out of this that Brittany Griner was the the poster child of, okay, something has to happen because this can't happen again. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. NBA Finals set to begin this week. Boston Celtics versus the Golden State Warriors. It's the number one and number two teams in defense over the regular season. The the best two teams with net rating over the postseason. And to help us unpack this, we have Brandon Scoop B. Robinson, NBA insider at Bally Sports and Bovada Sports Betting. Scoop, welcome. Welcome to Take Line. How are you? I'm chilling. Glad to be here with you guys. Yay. First of all, Scoop, 
What's my move here? Gambling wise, I am a gambling novice. What do the odds makers think about this series so far? And what do you think about it? Loaded question. But um, <laughs> the Golden State Warriors, I think, are, are better's favorite um, just because yeah. of their, their offensive octane, uh, particularly how they, they handled business um, against some teams that, you know, many people maybe thought would have had the upper hand. Uh, you go back to, um, you know, what they did against the Grizzlies. Uh, John Morant may have gotten you a half a million views on social <laughs> media across all platforms doing the gritty, um, but... Uh, the Warriors found a way to, to dig deep and get it from the from the mud, as they say, and get real gritty, uh, and, and and go and, and go get it. And you know, John Morant wasn't even able to finish the game or the series. Um, you you look at the last round against Luka Doncic. Uh, for many people, that would have been their dream to see you know Luka take it to the next level as the face of the franchise, as Madden players would say, and get things done. But you look at this series against the Boston Celtics, and as my geometry teacher from high school would say, uh, the Boston Celtics are a horse of a different color, uh, specifically because, you know, they they beat the favorites, one of the favorites, well, two of the favorites, one in the Brooklyn yeah, Nets in yeah. round one, uh, who, who were busy ramping up. And uh, I, every time I get into the airport and I see the word ramp, I take pictures of it and tweet it, and people laugh. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, the ramp up was a thing, you know, and then going into round two, I believe it's the great Ric Flair who said it best to be the champs. Woo! You got to beat the champs. And, mm-hmm. you know, you saw what they did against the Bucks, and then what they did against the, the eventual uh, regular season uh, first place team in the Miami Heat, uh, who were a Jimmy Butler uh, three um, from almost not do- getting there, but they did what they needed to do. So I think this matchup is so, um, so, so great for, Storylines. It's not exactly a David and Goliath story because the Celtics have been there, um, and and really mm-hmm. Jason Tatum has been there from rookie year, yeah. going toe toe against yeah. you know the, the the Cleveland Cavaliers against a, a LeBron James led team. It, it reminds me of um, I think it was the Baby Boy movie. It was some type of Tyrese movie where uh, he and Cuba Gooding were in that parking lot and they had the belt and they didn't flinch. They was like, you know, you got heart, you got heart, son, you got heart. Like the Celtics have had heart since day one, so. I, I think the, the betting odds are going to always go in, in the favor of the Warriors, but the fans who actually watch the game, the people who have covered the Celtics and the Warriors throughout the playoffs and the regular season, the journey for the Celtics to get there has definitely been the road less traveled. Yeah, I think we have to talk about, you mentioned the shot that we that <laughs> the Celtics were almost not in this finals. Um, the Jimmy Butler shot. I want to talk about that for a second. Did you like the shot did you think it was a bad shot a good shot Al Horford was backpedaling what are your thoughts on that shot selection Al Horford's knees <laughs> were signaling a bailout like we were still in the Obama administration <laughs> however Jimmy Butler's three was singing PPP PPP <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like at the end of the day, um, if if Jimmy made the shot, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We would be talking right. about how great he is. Yeah. And I think that's all, all the crown you wear uh, when you're the star of a franchise. And I think um, mm-hmm. I look at Jimmy's shot, I feel like when you're a superstar, because I believe he's always been one, um, I think mm-hmm. it, it was within rhythm. Now, comparatively, when you look at a couple of uh, Victor Oladipo's shots uh, that he attempted, they were out of rhythm, um, and mm-hmm. I think people get. I, I think he got the Mario Chalmers treatment uh, when LeBron was was on that team. But I, I I do think that um 
you know, when you when you look at what Jimmy's been capable of doing, you know, 47 points in the game before that, um, overshadowing any records that Dwayne Wade or LeBron James have, have broken, you live with that shot. But I'll add this to your question. You didn't ask it, but I'm going to tell you. When I look at Jimmy Butler in a world where we look at LeBron James, uh, Steph Curry, and others uh, who were made with the machine, uh, that is the media, uh, the NBA at large. Um, to me, uh, Jimmy Butler is every bit of uh, a self-made superstar. Uh, and, and, a, and he's literally the indie mixtape. He is literally <laughs> the Jay-Z reasonable doubt that people go back and look at volume one, volume two, volume three, black album, and then go back and say, um, can't knock the hustle the evils, and a myriad of other uh, politics as usual. You look at all of those Mm -hmm. hits that were on that album, and you're like, wow, from beginning to end, he's where he needs to be. I think his attitude is so stoic that fits a 90s era. I think, you know, he's every bit of Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, Tim Hardaway, and a myriad of other people in a world where, you know, no child left behind and bullying (laughs) is prevalent in in new cycles. And I don't want to, you know, be the bully to say that that doesn't matter. But we all have that grumpy uncle or grandfather that's still in their way of being a a jerk. It's still right. Not to belabor it because Jimmy is out of the playoffs now. But uh, in terms of him being the self-made superstar, the kind of uh, star player who, in your words, the machine is ignored, 30th pick in the draft, you know, had to fight through his own coach at times to break through as a member of the Bulls, uh, clashed with young stars as a member of the Timberwolves clashed with his stars as a member of the Sixers, clashed with his coach as a member of the Sixers. I do think, to your point, some of that is when you come in as the 30th pick and you work your way up, it's different than these kind of anointed stars who are the you know a top lottery pick. You're getting all the hype coming out of college, right? When a guy like that is grading on you, you know, saying you should be doing this, you should look at how hard I'm working, you should work as hard as me, things of that nature. It's easier to take when it's, the hyped guy, you know, the guy who's come in anointed by the the media, to, in your words, or who you just heard about. But when it's like the 30th pick, who you're not even sure if this is a guy for a lot of it, I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I think to your point, I think that's why Jimmy, it, it's taken until now for people to really appreciate what Jimmy Butler brings, because it's always been this perception of, the scrappy guy who can't get along with his teammates when in reality, they should have been trying to get along with him. But that's on them as much as it's on Jimmy, as as much as it's on the media. Is it not, Scoop? Um, it's a love-hate relationship that the players and the media yeah. have. Um, and I'll add this, people are very name-brand snobbish. Listen, when I was a kid, Oreos are my favorite cookie through and through, but... You know, you can go to the corner store and get you some Hydrox cookies. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember <laughs> I'm Hydrox. I'm well aware of the Hydrox. <laughs> the Hydrox and Oreo taste the same. It just has a different name scribbled on the cookie. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember, you know, Saturday mornings watching college football. I enjoyed Eggo waffles. But them Downy Flake waffles ain't no joke either. And you have that with the Lewis Ridge turkey bacon, you good to go. So, you know, people want Eggos and they want their Oreos. People want their LeBrons. They want their Steph Curry's and Jimmy Butler to them. is Some people like Sour Patch Kids and Airheads. There's a place for that, too. He might not be an mm. Oreo, but people still want their candy fix. Moving on to this finals, the Celtics, uh, I think on paper, 
are a great matchup for the Warriors. Mm-hmm. The kind of team building strategy that the, that this team is based on is a lot of switchable players, similar size players, above average defenders who can do a lot of different things, give you that flexibility on defense, no air gaps. Uh, and to that, they've added some different wrinkles with allowing Robert Williams to kind of come out and cover. His health is going to be uh, pretty important over the course of the years. And then at the same time, you've got the Warriors who we still have the memory of the death lineup era Warriors. They don't really have that two-way lineup killer anymore, right? Jordan Poole has been amazing as a spark. At the same time, that's the guy you attack, you know, uh, on defense. Um, in terms of the X's and O's, two very, very well-prepared coaches. Um, what do you see as, as some of the key adjustments coming into the series? I don't think that the Celtics are anything that the Warriors have seen in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You have a two-headed monster that is Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and a scrapper in Marcus Smart and a Jalen Brown that believes that he is that guy and he's proved it, armband or not. I think that Jason Tatum has always been in this. Like, I feel like over the last couple of years, we've had this conversation of who's the best in the NBA, who's the best in the world. Is LeBron still the guy? Is Giannis the guy? Is KD the guy? And we compare things or want things based off of the pretense or the principle of winning championships. To me, that's like asking who's the greatest rapper, Biggie, Jay-Z, or Nas. And I feel like we don't enjoy the process of just a player being a player. But Mm -hmm. to go back to my point on an X's and O's um, type of of, um, category, I think that while Jason Tatum is is a prolific scorer, uh, can pretty much get any shot he wants, uh, and Jalen Brown is the great supporter. I think we had this conversation last year with, with the Chris Middleton and Giannis conversation. Every great yep. team needs three-star players. And I believe that the Celtics have two and a half, and their half happens to just be a good defender who can motivate and be their Draymond Green and Marcus Smart, um, a guy who was in trade conversations in the summer last year. And, you know, thankfully the, the, for the Celtics, they were prudent. In, in, Every single in, year. In, Marcus Smart is in trade conversations. Yeah. He is. He is. Yeah. But here's the additive to that. Yeah. Um, you, you may mention of Robert Williams. Yeah. I think when you look at the Celtics and you look at the Warriors, I think one of the criticisms, particularly for last decade's Warriors, was they had the two or three great scorers or the name brand folks, the not the Hydrox, the, the Orioles, and yeah. you know the Steph Currys, <laughs> the Clay Thompsons, the Draymond Greens, and then at, at any iteration, also also the, the Kevin Durant. We've always looked at the Warriors as lacking a solid post presence. I used to joke, I would say, I know, I know guys on the corner with more post presence than Dwight Howard. <laughs> Um, and when you look at <laughs> when, you, when you look just at Dwight Howard just catching random strays, I actually do <laughs> like Dwight. Um, I yeah. like the fact that he has added a, a 16 to 18 footer in his game. And the same way that someone like Brooke Lopez has. And I think Zajuna mm-hmm. Sogauskas was ahead of the curve as far as developing a 16 to 18 footer. Uh, and an NBA that was still very big on, you know, the Shaqs and the Andrew Bynums of the world. But I digress. Mm-hmm. Kevon Looney and yeah. Robert Williams was the interior presence as well that we didn't think that those teams had that mm-hmm. Kevon Looney has become a star in his own right, getting double doubles in, in, in games against the Mavs, who totally lacked a post presence. Um, yes. And I and I think yes. that when you look at <laughs> and when you and when you look at what the Celtics also have, they also have uh, an Al Horford uh, who, yeah. who can 
stretch the floor uh, yeah. and, and is going to have to make a Draymond or a Kevon Looney uh, come out and, and guard him up that way. But by the same token, I feel like the matchups counteract one another and it's a good blend. I think that the Jordan Poole uh, portion of it is is something that the Warriors would have never discovered had Klay Thompson not been out as long as he was. And arguably, in my mind, should have been in a deeper conversation for the NBA's most improved player of the year. Because I yes. think that had Klay not gotten hurt, Jordan Poole's impact may not have been dissected or even acknowledged. I would never disrespect Kevin Durant uh, and say that he is the KD replacement. But what I do find interesting about this uh, series overall is it's the Kyrie KD NBA Finals without Kyrie and KD. Yes, and, I yeah. saw that. And it's interesting. That's wild. Um, but I also think that they have their own mission. And I think that when you look at the matchup with the Celtics, here's what also stands out to me against the Warriors. Everybody looked at those guys as scorers and they became defenders. They were always defenders, but I think a light switch came on for that team. And the national audience is now acknowledging them as a defensive stopper and presence because they built a wall that Donald Trump never built. And <laughs> they were able to stop the Brooklyn Nets in round one um, and, and really and truly made people pay attention to their defensive prowess. And they didn't just do it in that yeah. series. They did it against Milwaukee, too. Yeah. You mentioned Clay, and I wanted to talk about him for a second, too, because he has been coming off of injury. Um, he had some shimmers of of the clay of way back when, but he had a good game, uh, the last game for the Warriors. But do they do they need him, or do you think they could still win this finals with the clay that's kind of been in and out, the not so consistent clay? The Warriors need clay, like genuine still needs Timberland producing his beats. <laughs> so the answer to your question is yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't think you can take plays off. I think that you saw Clay's presence yeah. uh, from the minute he came back uh, from injury. And that was like an NBA finals affair. The the ratings uh, that were when he made his, his triumphant return. I felt like I was watching more of an inauguration than I was an actual basketball game because it was like mm -hmm. simulcasted on so many different things at one time. But no, I, I think that Clay Thompson, uh, I think all hands on, on deck, going to be needed. And even so, uh, the Andre Iguodala's are going to have to make a, a, a cameo. The Gary Payton II's are going to have to make a yeah, cameo. Yeah, could be an important player for them. And I really do also think yeah. that when I look at this Warriors team, I think this season is different because for many years, like you look at, for the exception 2015, because I don't think the world saw the Warriors coming when they played against the Cavs in 2015. But yeah. 20 what 2016 2017 and beyond whenever they made those appearances there was a mm -hmm. presupposition that the warriors were going to be there every year i think everybody was on the sun's bandwagon and many people were cheering for john morant appearance or you know a lakers appearance if you will but i think that this season is quite different for the warriors because they really had to pace themselves. I know it was really a tortoise and a hare type of affair there mm -hmm. um, for the Warriors because you dealt with a serious injury in, in Draymond. Uh, you dealt with a serious injury in Clay, and, and then Steph Curry, um, I think, and the Warriors at large, you know, were going from a, a team that was in the finals to the year LeBron left Cleveland and came to L.A. We thought it was going to be a L.A. Lakers 
uh, Warriors conference finals in year one with LeBron. And then the Lakers didn't even make the playoffs. And I, I'm not sure if the Warriors made the playoffs that year, but we dealt with Steph injuries. We dealt with over the years playing tournaments. Kelly Oubre, mm-hmm. was he going to play in the playing tournament or not? To we're back in the finals. Like, this wasn't a presupposition finals. This was a, we had the claw. That's why I think it's such a perfect matchup uh, between a team in the Celtics who clawed. They're not the Nets. They're not the Sixers. They're not the Bucks. And a team in the Warriors who are not the Suns, are not the Lakers, who didn't even make it. It really was, it, this feels like an NCAA tournament matchup. Not a, it feels like Baylor. It, it feels like, like, it, look, it looks like, it feels like Duke or North Carolina got a couple bruises, black eyes, and bullet wounds to get to the national championship game. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, what is, give us a prediction. What do you think? Who's, who do you have uh, winning the series? How many games? I think this is going to go six or seven games. I think that's kind of been the cadence of, of a lot of, Playoff games, conference finals games. Honestly, personally, I, I'd like to see the Celtics win it. Um, mm. I, I, I think that, you know, from a basketball purist perspective, people want to see the Warriors. I, I really do want to see the Celtics win it just because of their journey. Um, they weren't the Bulls. They weren't the Miami Heat. They weren't the Nets. They weren't the Sixers. They weren't the Bucks. They were the Celtics. And um, I'd like to see them win the series. He is Brandon Scoop B. Robinson, NBA insider at Bally Sports and Bovada Sports Betting. Scoop, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Brother and madam, thank you for the opportunity to be myself. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. drums pounding rhythmically in your ear. It's time for Take Survivor, the game where only the strongest take survives. Today, joining us on the Take Survivor Island. She's co-hosting today. She is the co-host of the Spinsters podcast, the Buckets video series. She is Jordan Liggins. Jordan, how are you? I'm great. I'm nervous, but I'm here. (laughs) I'm ready. Ready as I'll ever be. He's uh, one of the most mysterious stand-up comedians in the game today. He is co-host of the Airbuds podcast and also just one of the funniest human beings around. He is Jamel Johnson. Jamel, how are you? I'm well, Jason. Good to see you. I'm playing on behalf of the Dante Culpepper Get Your Roll On Foundation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He is a producer on this podcast and is also a producer on All Caps NBA. Uh, He is Ryan Wallace. And Ryan, welcome. Yo, yo, I'm ready to play. Let's get it. And he is also a producer on this podcast, also a producer in All Caps NBA, also one of the greatest individuals who I've ever worked with in my life. He is Zuri (laughs) Irvin. Zuri, how are you? I'm relieved. That's the nicest thing I heard all day. I don't care if I win now. Uh, Thank you, Jay. House money. Feeling (laughs) Feeling better. Let's do this. Um, And so it's Take Survivor, folks, and you know what it is, but I'm going to tell you what it is right now. Three rounds... 
three prompts. I will ask a question. Our contestants will give their take. Then we go to the voting portion where our contestants will vote on who had the worst take. That person will be ejected from the island. We move on to round two. We ask another prompt. Another round of voting. The person who has been uh, ejected in the previous round stays in the jury and votes. And then in our third round, we vote in a head-to-head format for the winner of Take Survivor. Everybody who has been eliminated remains in the jury to vote on who has the best take and will win. Don't worry. I'll repeat these rules as we go. Is everybody ready? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. (laughs) First prompt. Top Gun Maverick opened last week. Huge box office smash for our guy, Tom, Tom Cruise, Thomas Cruise, crushing it in the skies yet again, flying uh, to and to defend freedom from the nameless adversaries somewhere. It, of course, is the long-awaited sequel, 30 years in the making of uh, Top Gun, the original Top Gun from 1986. What 1980s movie should get their long-awaited sequel, should come back and be rebooted. What 1980s movie should come back? Jamel, we'll start with you. Uh, this is a tough one, Jason. Uh, I'm going to say, you know what I'm going to say? Here's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Trading places. Fuck it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. You thought you thought you didn't like coming to America too? Well, you're gonna hate this. <laughs> That's what my answer was gonna be. Not coming to America too. Let's just erase it from our minds because that does not need to happen. Not, well, I'll tell with, with Trading Places, most of the most of the original cast still alive. Eddie Murphy's still doing it, of course. Jamie yeah. Curtis still out here. Uh, the the you know trading and Wall Street and the market. Uh, there's never been a better time to explore those things. Uh, it's the, an interesting. The wage gap is crazy. The poverty <laughs> lines are shifting. Can't nobody buy a house nowhere. Dan Aykroyd's a, a dickhead now. You know he's the head of the firm, and you know Jamie Lee Curtis is with that shit. And we could just it could go a thousand different ways. I want to see it. I need to see it. Uh, Jamel with Trading Places. Jordan, what '80s movie? Should make a comeback. What 80s movie needs a sequel? Yeah, so I'm already off to a rocky start. I didn't know it was a sequel. So I'm going to go with the reboot that we needed. Um, Scarface, but with Zendaya. Zendaya. So we're going to flip it. It's going to be a woman. Tanya um, yes. She's going to be in a white suit. She's going to have the fits galore. I think I think we need this. This is it's giving boss lady. It's giving everything as the only woman on this take survivor. I'm wow. going to go with Zendaya. Very strong. Wow. I, I got to tell you, I love it. That is great. Um, Zuri, what 80s movie should make a comeback? These are tough. Um, I was going to go with the Eddie Murphy movie. Jamel, thank you for taking that off the board. I'm going to go with uh, something I'll call Goonies, but with black people. Um, that's a working title. <laughs> um, I think I, I kind of see this as hardball meets hook. You know, you keep Sean Astin. Maybe Sean Astin is like an angry grandpa or like an angry neighbor or something like that. Instead of treasure, they're looking for an NFT. And since it's an, yeah. this is an urban movie, so I think they just they don't make it out of the house because curfew and mom just wouldn't let them out. But um, I'm gonna go Goonies, but with I black like people. That. Yes, Goonies with black people. <laughs> uh, 
Ryan Walsh, in what 80s movie should make a comeback? You know, it's funny. I was going to go Warriors with black people, but that's off the table now. But also Warriors is 1979, so not yeah. applicable mm. to this this question. So I'm going to segue to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. I want everybody back. I want a different city. And I want Ferris to now be playing the role of Ed Rooney. And he just, like, can't keep up with his kid. His kid's no, just, like... Man. Like through like social media and like all of the machinations of the 21st century and stealing his or her father's car, like this Bueller Jr. is just like putting circles around Ferris and changing our perception of this man. I would love to see that. Yes. And the car is wow. like a hybrid or something. So it's like, it's not about the mileage, it's about like charging. It's like, yeah, it's like a one of a kind Tesla this time. Wow, incredible answers all wow. around. Let's go to the voting. Uh, oh, to, to remind our listeners, to remind our voters, you are voting for who has the worst take, the weakest take in this round. Will it be Jamel who said, you know what? I'd like to see Trading Places back. Let's get Dan Aykroyd being an asshole. Eddie Murphy's still out here. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Let's let's explore the wage gap. Let's explore what's going on with the marketplace. Let's explore uh, the, the looming recession. Let's explore inflation. Let's do that all through a comedy sequel to the great 80s comedy trading places. Will it be Jordan who said it's Griselda time? Let's get Zendaya <laughs> in a white suit running a cocaine empire <laughs> and having a massive shootout with various Colombian assassins and doing the Scrooge McDuck high dive into a pile of cocaine at the end of the movie. I want to see Zendaya doing that. Or will it be Zuri who says, uh, we loved Goody's, Goody's a great movie, uh, love the theme song by Cindy Lauper, good enough, but like, let's flip that entire thing and, and have it black kids <laughs> looking for an NFT that at this point, like probably started out, uh, you know, valued at uh, $50,000 is probably worth 50 cents now, but they're still looking for it and, and we're unsure if they can leave the house. Or will it be Ryan who says, <laughs> It's it's uh, you know karma's a bitch and karma in this case is Ferris Bueller's kids putting Ferris Bueller through the ringer this time in the sequel to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now it's Ferris Bueller's kids uh, take a day off on him and run him over with his Tesla. Uh, <laughs> the votes are coming in now, and here they go. Uh, the first. The person ejected from the island, and it is a sweep, folks. <laughs> is Ryan Wallerson with his reboot, his sequel of uh, Ferris Bueller's Kids Day Off? Ryan, what do you have to say? Ooh, I'm swept. I must be from Brooklyn. Oh, man. Parting wow. shots. It, it, it happens to the best. You know, you can have two top 15 players of all time and still get swept. So. I'll take my solace and uh, good hunting, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to round two. Uh, as a reminder, Ryan will stay in our voting jury. Uh, prompt two. Who in this NBA Finals, Celtics versus Warriors, has the most to gain or lose in terms of legacy? Whose legacy is most on the line in this series? Is it Steve Kerr? Is it... Is it Kevin Durant who's not playing, but still, we understand what happened? Is it Kyrie Irving for, mm. the, for the same exact reasons? Is it Steph Curry? Is it Jason Tatum somehow? Who is it? 
Uh, let's start with you, Zuri. Zuri, whose legacy is most on the line? So many legacies on the line. Uh, you know, we could go Steph, we could go Tatum, we could go someone else, but I'm going to go ABC at large. I think ABC ESPN has the most at stake. Mm, you know, we wow. just talked about just talked about how boring the playoffs are. Every other Talk round is a snoozer round. We're getting to the finals and we don't know what we're going to see. Yeah. I watched a lot of Barry this weekend. I watched a lot of uh, Pause show. with Sam J. A lot of that damn Michael Che. Give the NBA Finals to HBO Max. Every commercial break, let us watch two minutes of, an, of a different show. Let it automatically switch over when the game <sighs> reaches a 25-point uh, margin. And um, let's just, you know, this is put up or shut up for ABC, in my opinion. And uh, let's just see what happens. So, ABC. Wow. That's the most at stake. I, I love <laughs> Incredible answer. Jamel, mm-hmm. legacy. Who has the most to lose or gain in terms of legacy in these finals? Draymond Green. Mm. Draymond, he's the last active player still podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) He could say something fucked up. (laughs) He still has an opportunity to fuck up several bags. The potential for him punching Marcus Smart in the face. It's it's palpable. We can feel it. It's yes. in the air. Oh, he really might hit this fool. <laughs> it could go one of a million ways. Or what if when he catches a ball at the top of the three-point line and instead of his defender uh, going to the stands for a hot dog, <laughs> they got to they gotta guard him at the three-point line because he's putting up threes again like, a, like it's 2011, 2012 or something. Oh, I don't even know when he came in the league, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that would be a nice uh, could go, He could. Yeah, what if he suddenly decides to play offense and goes crazy? He could He could, He could. could rise. He could fall. He is the Dark Knight. That's my answer. Uh, an incredible answer. And then finally, Jordan. Jordan, who uh, whose legacy is most at risk? Mm, these are both great answers. But I'm going to go with Clay Thompson's Afro. Um, very specific with the afro and the headband combo it was funny when he was jackie moon with semi-pro we laughed but if the if the jumpers aren't falling i'm i'm gonna need a haircut i'm gonna need a hair change i'm gonna need braids i'm gonna need no headband i'm gonna call for a switch up. So there's a lot to lose. He could lose his hair. He could lose the legacy talk with the afro. And that that's uh. that's my answer. Wow. Incredible answers all around. Let's go to the voting. Who will be the second player ejected from the island? Will it be Zuri who says, you know who has uh, the most uh, to, to lose or gain? In these finals, it's ABC ESPN. With uh, it's been a, it's been an up and down product thus far. Uh, what if the ratings take a dip? Uh, what if Bob Chapek, CEO of Disney, says, uh, "What the fuck are you guys doing over there?" Uh, you know, we're putting out a million Star Wars shows and a million Marvel shows over on Disney Plus, and you and the ABC ESPN portion of our portfolio is failing us. You guys got it together. Get it together. Or will it be Jamel who notes that the last active podcaster in sports is Draymond Green? 
Is Draymond Green going to want to turn on the microphones after a tough game five loss? Well, he's going to have to because that's his fucking job. That's his fucking job now. Is he going to want to do ad reads for keeps after he bricks the crucial three pointer at the end of the game? He's going to have to. He's going to have to to do that throw to keeps. Or will it be Jordan who says, you know what? Uh, Clay has uh, has been spotty in his return from injury, although it, it, as inspiring as it has been. Um, but the th- other thing that's spotty and that is questionable is the Afro headband combination. Yes, we understand that uh, that nothing feels better uh, for a, a captain on the high seas as as Clay is a noted a lover of the boats. Nothing feels better than the spray of the sea in your hair, uh, but something's got to change if you're not playing better. The votes are coming in now, and by a vote of, oh my God, by a vote of three <laughs> to one, and that includes the person voting for himself. <laughs> Zuri has been ejected from the island. I don't think we've ever seen this before. Zuri, uh, you you took yourself out of the island. What do you yeah. have to say? Well, you know, it's an honor just to compete with Jordan Liggins and Jamel Johnson. I'm just happy to be a part of this. <laughs> also, it's a rare, it's a rare round where I think each answer got better than the last one. So it's only right to keep these two in and um, I'll, I'll live to play another game. But uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> And that brings us to our final round, the head-to-head round. A reminder, we are voting for the winner here uh, between Jamel Johnson and Jordan Liggins. And here is the championship prompt. What is the best trophy in sports? We talked about it earlier in the show. The NBA is obsessed with having both the basketball and the net (laughs) in all of their trophies involved in some way. but there are a lot of different ways to do a trophy. Wimbledon has that gigantic serving dish. The Olympics has all the different kinds of medals. Uh, we saw the Champions League take place this weekend. Roland Garros, the French Open, is going on now. What is the best trophy in all of sports? Jordan, I'll start with you. Whew. Um, this was a tough one. Um, but I, I'm going to go with... Wimbledon. I know we talked about tennis. The fact that it just looks so rich. Like, it's gold. Tennis is such, like, you gotta have money to play. You know? You gotta have money to Uh be in the stands. The trophy matches that opulence of the sport. And who wouldn't want this gold? You know, it has, like, the little handles. It's, It's beautiful. You would want to display that. So I'm going Wimbledon or the big plate. That's also, it's the plate too for the, the for the women. You can eat off of it, you well. know. Yeah. Love, love a good China dish. <laughs> so much fruit salad you could put on that thing. I must have, yes. Mm. Jamel, what's the best trophy in sports? Honestly, bro, there's a million ways I wanted to go here, but I must go with my heart. Grade school soccer participation trophy. <laughs> is the best trophy in all of athletics. It's 100% plastic. And it is beautiful. That kid kicking that damn ball. 
Okay, so describe, because there's, listen, there's a lot of them. Some of them, it's like a shooting golden star, yeah, you know. Where, no, you know, okay. You know, like yeah. other ones, it's like, you know, just like a random athlete in a in a track suit. Other ones, a little kid with a baseball bat. What, specifically, what does your participation trophy look like? Mine looks like a, it's a gold plate. It's a chrome painted. It ain't even plated. It's paint, <laughs> gold painted child kicking a soccer ball. Like the child receiving it never did once in the season. <laughs> it starts like this, and then there's a little stand for him to stand on, and then it goes to a tube. There's a black tube with soccer balls that look like they're floating through space, painted across the tube piece. Then we got a little fake granite at the bottom <laughs> that says the child's name, and thanks for coming out. <laughs> And the tube is always oh. in the team colors too, or that's like purple. Yeah, you got it. Reflective, like glittery or something. Yeah, that's hard yes. to beat. Yes, exactly. And it's a tube. That's how you know they didn't win shit. Because yeah. if it's real, it's kind of like rectangular. It's got the little stripes. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's you got know, some shit no... you can hold. It's three posts you can hold. That's right. Got that's it. right. There's no trophy. There's no trophy silhouette at all. <laughs> yeah. None of that. Ain't none of that. Uh, shout out to Joel Kim Booster, who has the best joke about participation trophies. Go find it online. I'm not going. You go for, for, find out for yourself. The baby boomers are wrong. Participation is great. It is the best trophy. Thank you so much. Well, folks, it is time to vote on our winning take in this championship round of Take Survivor. Will it be Jordan who says the opulence, the medieval splendor? the noble bloodlines of the Wimbledon trophy. Doesn't it look like something that's in a king's trophy room that's like in the Tower of London? It came out of there somehow that the the queen anoints it with her tears. Doesn't it look like that? Even the plate, even the huge plate looks like, you know, something that you'd put like a, a, a traitor's decapitated head on and deliver it to the king and queen. Doesn't it look like that? Isn't that amazing? Well, will it be Jamal who says, you know what? What has more cultural relevance right now than the participation trophy? Who is is it not the trophy that we talk about the most that the boomers complain about that everybody talks about but yet that is great and has has lifted the spirits of generations of young athletes who never got on the field <laughs> but at least got to get away with a plastic gold painted trophy of a young athlete standing on a tube with their name <laughs> Uh, you know, written across the bottom. Votes are coming in now. And, uh, and folks, congratulations to our winner. No participation trophies for him. He is Jamel Johnson, the winner of Take Survivor today. Jamel! Great job. Your victory speech. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Huzzah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you. I'd like to thank, you know, uh, grade school soccer. I'd like to thank my yeah. mom for uh, taking me to them practices. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank um, the one Latino kid on the team, uh, Roberto. <laughs> he used to really do his thing. Uh, I'd like to thank you guys, uh, Jordan Liggins. I I'd like to thank Jason Concepcion's uh, immune system. Yes, it's still 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 working. Still cranking. Uh, I'd like to thank you, the listeners. 
And uh, I would like to thank Internet Radio. <laughs> and that's it for us and Take Survivor today. What a rousing game it has been. Catch us next time. Goodbye. And that's it for us as a show. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And do not forget, subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out. Goodbye. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah de Alaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware.